for those of us who can be long-winded. So now it's so great to see everyone, and you're all back here on time, but I really appreciate that because it's just, um, there's just so much to cover, and it's always like that, that the dilemma of like, gosh, are we going to make it off? Is it going to fit in here and stuff like that? But it's, um, a little cough drop. I'm, I put it in like my mouth like 10 minutes ago thinking it'd be gone by now, and it's not, so I apologize, but we'll let it kind of finish doing its thing. But um, I have a lot. Of, I teach fifth grade, and I have a lot of fifth graders with cooties right now. Just sick, <laughs> really, really sick. And so you're constantly touching their papers and everything. So even though you're you're not near them, you're near their stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just tricky. But um, it's great to see you all here tonight. And so I want to go ahead and get started because I'm 14 seconds late. <laughs> no, please bow your heads with me. We'll go ahead and open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we do come to you in Jesus' name and. Lord, we come with such expectant hearts, Father, knowing that you've brought us here tonight for, for a good reason, Lord, to bless us and to instruct us, Father. And so I ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts, Lord, this evening. Allow us, Father, to, to hear what it is that your word wants to speak to us, Lord. And more than anything, Lord, make us not just hearers of your word, but doers, Lord, that we just might be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, God's word is so relevant. I mean, I know that you all, that you all know this. And I don't know how many of, of you this has happened to you when you're opening up your study book and you see what the topic is for the lesson of the week that we're going to get into and you think, wow, this is exactly what I need. You know, you just find these different titles that, that we've gone through. Our, our whole series about Lord, teach us to pray, but just the different topics, for example, teaching us to pray in faith, teaching us to pray when we're afraid, with thanksgiving, with boldness, when we have decisions that we need to make, Right. When we have sinned, praying for that heart of wisdom, praying through intercession, all of these are so relevant. And we actually shouldn't be surprised because Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living. It's powerful and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces even to the division of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow. And the word is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. God also tells us in Psalm 119 in verse 105 that your word is a lamp to my feet and light to my path. So he gives us his word just when we need it at that time to light our path, to guide us and to direct us. You know, but in order to get the most out of his word, it says in Joshua 1.8, it says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. And so if I want to get the most benefit out of God's word, I need to meditate on it day and night. I need to get his word and bury it deep within my heart. You know, the world is such a mess. And even as Christians, how often do we look to the world for help and guidance, right? But it's only the word of God that's able to help us navigate our ways through this dark world. But in order to do that, we have to meditate on his word day and night. And this week is no exception in terms of the topic. I mean, once again, God speaks something very, very relevant into our hearts here. And for some of us, um, I mean, I know that the timing of today's lesson couldn't be any better. And what is it? It's, Lord, teach us to pray when we're hurt. Teach us to pray when we're hurt. You know, you ever hear little kids argue or fight? I mean, again, I'm a teacher, so you hear it all the time. And they can go back and forth, you know, like, did two, did not, did two, did not, right? Whatever it is, or, or uh-huh, uh-uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. That whole thing, they go back and forth until one of them hurls that dagger. Then I'm not going to be your friend anymore, right? And at that, rarely do you ever hear the kid to whom it was said kind of come back and say, so what, I'm not going to be yours either. Usually what happens, the one who had those words said to them, what they end up doing is they melt into this sniffling ball and they beg the other kid, okay, okay, I'm sorry, will you be my friend, right? You see, I see some heads nodding, so you know how that works. 
And then, you know, if you wait a few minutes, and it's not, it doesn't even take that long before their tears are even dry, they're probably playing happily again, right? And after all this drama has gone on, right? And I thought about that. I thought, you know, it's just too bad that life doesn't stay that simple. It's just too bad it doesn't stay that simple because as we grow older, those hurtful words, when they come at us, they seem to come at us with more and more force. It's more like words like, you can't do anything right. You're stupid. You're worthless. You're good for nothing. I don't love you anymore. I'm leaving. I hate you. Right? We get very, very strong words that are thrown at us. Or maybe it's actually not the words, but it could be someone's actions, which are going to be the source of that pain. Maybe someone betrayed your confidence. You shared something very, very intimate or personal or secret with someone, and, and they betrayed that confidence. Or maybe someone started a rumor about you. They said something about you or maybe someone who you really care about. Or now with this whole thing of social media, that's a whole other can of worms. Because anything that someone does and says, true or not, I mean, the, so many people know about it. And, and so it, just the impact of those kinds of situations is, is so much more than, than it was you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago. So these words and these actions that, that we have, we have um, thrown at us, they leave us wounded. They leave us really weak. And this makes us really, really vulnerable makes us vulnerable to Satan. And he would love nothing better than to see us blame this whole thing on God and then walk away from God. That's what he wants us to do. And so what, what happens? When we're in that situation, he quietly walks up next to us. He wraps his treacherous little arm right on your shoulder. And he just whispers these things into our ears, things like, you know, if God really loved you, he wouldn't let this happen to you. Or maybe you've heard something like, well, you've tried this whole Christianity thing long enough. But look what's happened now. I mean, you might as well just forget it. It's just not working for you. That's what he does. He comes alongside of us when those moments we're most vulnerable. And so how are we supposed to respond when people hurt us? How do we respond? How can we pray? I mean, I ask myself that. How can I pray when I'm so hurt? When my heart is so heavy, how can I pray? And Psalm 55 here shows us how King David responded when he was really, really deeply hurt by someone who was very, very close to him. And so what we want to do tonight is see what he did in his situation, see how we could learn from that for our own lives here. And the way we're going to kind of do it tonight, um, I'm going to give you some background information on the context of Psalm 55. And then what I'm going to do is actually go through and read the whole psalm. It takes like two minutes, but I think it's really important because I'm not going to go through it verse by verse. I'm going to refer to verses. I want us to get a feel of the whole thing together. And then after that, there's two sections we're going to look at. The first one is how does pain affect us and what is the answer to our pain? All right. So starting off with just like a context here for Psalm 55. You know, after David committed adultery then with, with Bathsheba and he ordered the murder of her husband in order to hide his sins, we know that David's life and his kingdom, they were plagued by these consequences of, of his sin. He had a son named Ammon and he raped his sister or actually his half-sister Tamar. And then Tamar's brother, whose name was Absalom, murdered Amnon. Because of that, because he had raped his sister. And then he, he fled Jerusalem. And after a while, he was brought back to Jerusalem. But he and David, his father, they never really quite, you know, were at peace with each other. And so after a couple of years, Absalom led a revolt against King David to, to take over the kingdom. And so as Absalom is arriving in Jerusalem there to seize the kingdom, David had to flee. David had to take off and flee for his life. And that's when he wrote this psalm. Psalm 55 was written during that time. Now, the insurrection of, of Absalom, it had to really weigh really heavily on David's heart. But the treachery and the betrayal that he refers to in Psalm 55, it wasn't from Absalom, but it was from another person. It was a very, very close friend of David, and his name was Ahithophel. 
Now, in, in 2 Chronicles 27, in verse 33, Ahithophel is listed as David's counselor. He was David's counselor. And in 2 Samuel 23, in verse 34, it tells us that Ahithophel had a son whose name was Eliam. And he actually became one of David's mighty men, one of his warriors. So you have Ahithophel. He has a son named Eliam, who was one of David's major warriors. And Eliam had a daughter who you've all heard of, and her name was Bathsheba. So there's this connection there. So when David is on the, the rooftop and he sees Bathsheba bathing and, and he sent to inquire who she was. And they said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So Eliam was one of his mighty men, but Eliam was the son of Ahithophel. So when David committed adultery, it was actually with Ahithophel's granddaughter that he committed adultery there. And so the scripture doesn't really say anything to us about David and Ahithophel's interactions. But we can assume that after um, David fell with Bathsheba and stuff and then killed Uriah and married Bathsheba, that their, their relationship, their interactions had to have changed. And so when Absalom is out there and he begins to exalt himself and he gets ready to overthrow David, he sent for Ahithophel, David's former friend and counselor, and he came and he actually joined on Absalom's rebellion. So this was the guy who betrayed David, who really, who, who really brought that pain to his heart. Now, Psalm 55 was probably written at two different times. So you have the beginning when David was in Jerusalem. So Absalom is in another city. He's proclaiming himself as king, and he's coming to Jerusalem with this you know, big entourage and stirring up all this, all this chaos and stuff. And so part of the psalm was written there, and a lot of commentators believe the rest of the psalm was written as he was fleeing, or I should say after he had fled back out into the wilderness to seek safety and stuff. You know, when you um, notice a real, a real strong change in the tone between verses 8 and 9, verses 6, 7, and 8, as we read it, it's when David's talking about his desire to escape as a dove. And then all of a sudden, verse 9 comes in where he says, destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues. You know, for I've seen violence and I've seen strife. So you see a real change in the tone. And some, as I said, some commentators feel those first eight verses were written while he was still at Jerusalem. Kind of like, like the, the doom is coming and he's just like, oh, I wish I could get away. I wish I could just flee. But then after he saw the insurrection, he saw the chaos in the city as he's fleeing, that, that gave him a lot of indignation. That just caused that tone and, um, of the psalm to change there. Another transition point in the psalm is down um, in verse 16 because from verse 16 to the end, we see the character of the righteous. I don't know if you notice at the end of the psalm, the whole tone of it changes. And we see that at the very end there. So giving you a little bit of a context now for the psalm, I want to take a, a few moments here, and I, I do want to read the whole psalm through just to get a feel for it. So keeping in mind what we just read or learned about, and it says in verse 1, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I'm restless in my complaint, and I moan noisily because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is severely pained within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. So I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Selah. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around on it, excuse me, go around it on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are also in the midst of it. Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from its streets. For it's not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man, my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together 
and walked to the house of God in the throng. Let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry, pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many against me. God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from of old. Selah. Because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. He has put forth his hands against those who are at peace with him. He's broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half of their days, but I will trust in you. So now we've read David's prayer. I said the two things we're going to look at is how does pain affect us and what's the answer to, to our pain. And so looking at how pain affects us, we know there's a lot of different kinds of pain. I mean, there's that physical pain you could experience. And we know David in his life had experienced physical pain. But the pain described in this psalm and the hurt is more of an emotional pain. And there's a lot of ways that pain, like this emotional pain, can affect us. And as I was looking through the psalm, I saw two different ways um, that it affected David. I'm sure there's more, but um, I see that, that this hurt, this betrayal, affected him in a physical way, and it affected him emotionally. Now, we shouldn't be surprised, though, because God created us, how? With a body, mind, and spirit. So it shouldn't surprise us that when one part of us is affected, for example, your, your spirit, your, your emotions, for example, or, or your mind, that's going to affect you physically. There, our bodies are intertwined. As it says in Psalm 139 and verse 14, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. So God knows how he knit us together. But we just need to be careful that we keep those things in balance. I mean, there's going to be those connections, but we don't want to have these big, big swings um, between those different, like I said, our emotions, for example. So we see that David, David, um, it wasn't physical pain necessarily that he was dealing with. It was like that, that hurt in his heart, but it did affect him physically. And how is it that it affected him physically? Well, it caused him to lose sleep. I'm sure you noticed that in verse two, it says, Attend to me and hear me. I'm restless in my complaint and I moan noisily. In the NIV, it says, my thoughts trouble me. And the idea here is that, that David's mind kept wandering from one sad thought to another. And it made him restless. It made him unable, unable to sleep. And I'm sure a lot of us have been there before. right? You've been in that same situation. Your husband or maybe you were laid off. And so you're sitting there at night wondering, how are you going to pay the bills? Or your teen is getting more and more rebellious and you just wonder how bad is it going to get? Or maybe you said something or you did something that you shouldn't have and now you sit there awake at night wondering how you're going to fix this mess you made. Right? So our mind just can go on and on. Maybe you can relate to what Job said in Job 7.4. We know Job was going through a lot of tremendous trials and Job says, When I lie down, I say, When shall I rise and the night be ended? For I've had my fill of tossing till dawn. So he would lie down, but he wouldn't sleep. He would just toss and turn all night long. And that's what's happening to David here. He, that pain that he was experiencing was causing him to lose sleep. And if that's our situation, what, thing can, what can we do then? Well, first thing, you have to know that, that the Lord wants to give you sleep. He wants you to rest. Psalm 127.2 says, the Lord gives his beloved sleep. So he wants you to have that rest. He wants you to, to give that to you. We have to also remember that he's watching over us. Psalm 4.8 says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So as our minds are churning 100 miles an hour, thinking about all these things, the Lord is able to give us that peace. 
And thirdly, talk to the Lord about it. Don't just assume that he knows because he's God while you're sitting there tossing and turning, right? So talk to him about it. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus encourages us. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's an invitation, but we need to take him up on that, to go to him. So when we have those, those sleepless nights, when that pain is just making our minds go you know, in circles, and like David said, he's restless. When that happens to us, we need to go to the Lord. So one of the ways that David's pain affected him physically is that he couldn't sleep. Now his pain also, the pain he was suffering from that betrayal, his pain also affected him emotionally. And the way it affected him emotionally is that it made him really fearful. His pain made him fearful. You have to remember, David was a very, very courageous man. I mean, this is the, the youth who killed Goliath, right? He had stood there and he had, um, he had stood up to Saul many times. Saul, king Saul had sought to kill him. Also, we know that once he um, became king and he's going out um, to battle himself many times, there were a lot, of, a lot of battles that he won. He is not a fearful man. He's a very, very brave man. But at this moment, his heart became fearful. Kind of reminds me when, you, when you're looking um, like in investments and stuff, it says past performance is no guarantee of future earnings. You know, I thought about that because, just because David in the past had been so valiant and so brave, but here he was just a, a fearful mess. And it's like us, just because I'm standing strong today, there's no guarantee that tomorrow when another trial comes, I'm going to handle it because each and every time we have to go to the Lord about that. So in verse four and five, David said, my heart is severely pained within me. The terrors have death of death, death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me. Horror has overwhelmed me. And as he's writing these words, his son Absalom is coming to Jerusalem to seize the kingdom from him. And David's death is the only thing that's going to um, satisfy the conspirators. They're, they're looking to kill David, all right? So that's why he's so fearful at this moment. And you, if you think about it, it had to be even worse for David because this is something he actually brought upon himself. When he fell into sin with Bathsheba and God sent the prophet Nathan to bring like that judgment and kind of to slap David and get him out of it, when, when Nathan spoke for the Lord, Nathan told him um, from the Lord, the sword will never depart from your house because you've, dis- you've despised me. Right? And he says, and I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. So what David was suffering is exactly the consequences of his own sin. So he had not only the, the burden of, of, like I said, the betrayal, but knowing that he had brought this upon himself. Now, the, fa- the pain that he had here was a fear of actual physical death. But a lot of times our fear isn't of like actual physical death. There's a lot of things that we can um, be fearful about. Maybe you've been hurt through a breakup of a relationship or maybe even a divorce, and then the type of pain that, that, you fee- that you have, it could make you fearful of loving again, right? So the fear that we have could be different things. If a person, like I said, maybe if the pain you have is from um, the ending of when the relationship ended, you could be fearful about entering another relationship. Or if the pain that you're dealing with is because you were betrayed by someone, someone did or said something to hurt you or maybe slander you, then now you're afraid that you may not ever be able to trust that person again or maybe trust anyone. So the fear that we have doesn't have to be a fear of death like David's was a fear of death, but our pain can cause us to be very fearful. And so what is the result of that fear? I mean, David had this fear and what was the result? Well, in verses six, seven, and eight, he talked about how he wanted to retreat, how he wanted to withdraw, right? Those were the verses that said, oh, if I had wings like a dove, I would fly away. I would be at rest. I would wander off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and the tempest. And it's kind of interesting that he chose a dove as this, 
as is kind of like his metaphor here, because when, when there's an impeding, impeding storm, what doves will do is they will fly back like out into wilderness. They'll, they'll go find their nest, a place where they feel safe and secure. So they're like, they're out of this big tempest, out of this storm. And that's what David's saying. He just wants to withdraw. He wants to find a place where he can be at rest. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been at that point where you have pain and your pain has made you fearful, but instead of wanting to deal with it or face it, all you want to do is escape. All you want to do is get away from it. And so I thought about it. I go, well, how, are, how do we escape? Well, some of us keep super busy. That's our escape. We just run ourselves ragged. I don't want to just, if I'm busy, I won't think about it, right? So we find things to do just to not have to deal with this pain that, and this fear that this pain has brought on. Or some people sleep. Like we said, David had trouble sleeping. Other people, that's how they deal with their fear and their pain is they sleep. Or other people, they resort to drugs, to alcohol or something to deaden that pain and to give them um, that sense of an escape. Earlier, I mentioned in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight the invitation that, that Christ gives us when he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's when I was saying, you need to talk to the Lord about your pain. Now, the next verse, verse 29, Jesus goes on, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's what David was looking for. He was looking for rest. So when we want to flee, and there's going to be those moments when we want to flee, ladies, don't just flee anywhere. Flee to the cross. Flee to Jesus. That's where we need to run to. That's where we're going to find that peace. The closer we draw to him, the more we learn about him, we're going to find that rest there. You can go find some other place, some other corner to curl up in or something like that. It's not going to solve it. But when we run to Jesus... That's where we're going to find that peace. And when we're running away, it's because we're looking for peace somewhere. And so when you have those moments, you have that fear, which has been brought on by that pain you're dealing with, run to Jesus. He's the one who's going to be able to give you that rest inside. So David's pain made him feel fearful. And as a result of that fear he had, he, was, he began to just muse and imagine about how he would escape, how he would go away. And as I said, when we have pain and our pain turns into fear, a lot of times we feel the same way that David does. But he talked about running away to the wilderness. But as I said, we need to make sure we run to the cross because that's where we're going to find rest in the arms of our Savior. So our pain and our hurt, they can um, affect us in a lot of ways. They can affect us physically. Like we said with David, he couldn't sleep. They can affect, our pain can affect us emotionally. It can cause fear to stir up in our hearts. But now the million-dollar question is, okay, what's the answer to that pain? We all know about the pain. We know what it does to us. But what do I do with it? What is the answer to this pain? And we also find that here in, in Psalm 55. Now, in this psalm here, as we've read through it, Dave, you see that David's had these huge swings of his emotions. You can see these there's um, times when he you know, seems very brave, times when he seems you know, very fearful. There's this big range of emotions. And he had to do the same thing that we all have to do. You have to take your thoughts captive. You can't let your mind run wild. But the minute that your mind just starts racing, you have to put the brakes on it. You have to reel it back in, pull it back in. And what we do is we bring it back to the word of God. Because the word of God is what serves as that anchor for us. The word of God is what serves as that st stabilizer, that steadying force for us. In the midst of all this chaos that we're in, whether it's a physical trial, an emotional trial, whatever you're going through, whatever I'm going through, the only way that I'm going to find like something to grab onto is going to be God's word. There's nothing else you're going to be able to grab onto during those situations. Now we can look at David and we could say that he didn't always handle his situation well because he allowed it to make him restless and fearful. 
But actually, when you look at the psalm, he did a couple things right. There's a couple things that he did that are right, and we need to learn from them. And the first thing he did, which helps us deal with our pain, is he prayed. He prayed. When you look at verse 1 and 2, he actually made four different petitions. If you look at verse 1 and 2, he made four different petitions. He said, give ear. He says to the Lord, give ear to my prayer. And that is the whole idea, like in Psalm 34, 15, where the psalmist writes, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to this cry. David knew that God's ears are open to the, right, the prayer of the righteous. And David in this situation was righteous because in the sense that he had not brought, done anything to Absalom to bring this, um, this kind of rebellion on. We know David wasn't perfect, but Absalom's rebellion was not a direct result of something David did to Absalom in, in that sense. So David was praying from that perspective. He says, give ear. He also says in verse 1, he says, um, his ears are open. I'm sorry, he says, he says, do not hide yourself from my supplication. And that idea of do not hide is like, don't, um, don't veil yourself. It's kind of like when you turn your back on someone when you're angry or you're disinterested in them. In something, it's like you, you turn your back on him. He's like saying, don't hide yourself from me, Lord. Like, don't turn your back on me when, I, when I'm praying to you. He's entreating the Lord. He also says in verse 2, attend to me. Attend to me. Picture a lot of you are pet owners. And you know, like when your animals, like their ears perk up. When they hear that, like they hear you open the can or something, whatever it is. But their ears perk up, right? Attend to me. So he's asking God, like, listen, like, attend to my prayer. And he says in verse 2, he also says, hear me. That means pay attention. So David is, one thing he did right here is he is praying. And we see, like I said, he made four different petitions here. And in those petitions, we sense his urgency. You could tell David is in a very urgent situation. He's really coming before the Lord in, in this, these four different ways here. Down on verse 17, we see that he mentions three different times that he prays. Remember, he says, evening, morning, and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud. Now, there's nothing magical about those times, but the whole point here is we see his consistency. David's praying, he's praying, he's constantly praying to the Lord. Now, devout Israelites routinely prayed at this time. If you studied about Daniel, you know, Daniel, he would open his windows. He was in the captivity there in Babylon, and he would pray morning, noon, at night, three times a day he would pray. And the morning and evening prayers kind of line up with the temple sacrifices, but the noonday prayer was nothing that was required in the law. It's mostly just probably the result of being of the pious Jews just wanting to pray. So seeking the Lord in the middle of the day also. And that verse really caused me to ask myself, well, when do I pray? Once a week? Once a day? Right? Or do I maintain that attitude of prayer throughout the day? Because that's what David's basically saying here. Morning, noon, and night. He's living in that attitude of prayer. So we see how urgent his prayer is. We see how consistent. But then all of a sudden, you're reading along, you're saying, yes, David's praying just what he's supposed to do. Right on, David. Good job. And then you get to verse 9. He says, destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. You get to verse 15 where it says, let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell. And these are also prayers. But they're, they are. They are prayers. They're a kind of prayer that's called an imprecatory prayer. And um, the verb imprecate means to pray evil against or to invoke a curse upon. So it is a prayer, but he's praying against his enemies. But what does Jesus tell us in Matthew 5, 44? He says, love your enemies, pray for those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. As Christians, we pray for our enemies, not against them. But when we, when we read that, I mean, that is a prayer that David was making. He was praying against them. He was bringing like a curse upon them. But that's not what the Lord wants us to do. But you have to take those prayers as a real, um, what they basically show us is 
just how his heart was crying out for vengeance. I mean, you can see the pain in his heart. And there's a lot of, there are several psalms that have that kind of a tone to them where the psalmist is praying like a prayer like against someone, maybe against a nation or against a, um, someone who had done them wrong. And it was the heart of suffering is what we see there, that this person is really, really suffering. And you have to be honest. I mean, how many times do we feel like praying like that too, right? I mean, so it's, it's not uncommon is that whole idea of praying against someone. We want, yeah, we're supposed to pray for our enemies, but there's those times you want to say like, get them, Lord, right? You want to just do that. But so instead of really judging David, what we need to do is kind of go back to what the scripture says. Um, Paul reminds us in, in Romans 12, 8, 19, Paul says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So David's praying against his enemies there. But God is saying, David, vengeance is mine. I'm going to repay. And you might be thinking, well, but David didn't have the book of Romans. He didn't have Paul. Well, but Paul is quoting actually from Deuteronomy. He's quoting from the law of Moses that David did have. Moses had written in Deuteronomy 32, 35. God had told uh, Moses, vengeance is mine and recompense. So this is something that David knew. And so the, the bottom line here is that we need to trust the Lord to get, to take that vengeance. We don't have to pray for God to, to get our enemies. David had seen that happen. He saw it happen with Saul, King Saul. He saw Goliath was mocking God's people and God took Goliath out. He saw it with Nabal, right? The whole thing with the, how God, Nabal had been um, mistreated David and his people and, and God brought that judgment on him. Now in verse 9, when David said, destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, that, that phrase is kind of interesting. It goes back to what happened in the Tower of Babel where, where um, the people were dispersed because they weren't able to understand each other. The whole idea he, he, David's praying is like, Lord, introduce confusion into their councils. So that, and they would just be dispersed abroad, like the people who were building the Tower of Babel. You have to think about it. Absalom had people around him advising him. And David knew that. So he's like, Lord, divide their tongues. In other words, give that, you know, confuse their counsel. So as those people come around Absalom, Lord, that, that their counsel would, would not be good counsel. And God honored that prayer. If you know the story later on there, that's exactly what happened. There was like two conflicting um, ways to deal with the situation. And, and God moved in Absalom's heart and he chose the wrong one. Well, the right one from God's perspective, the wrong one for Absalom because it cost him his life. But um, God was the one who intervened there. So David's praying against their counsel there. So one thing David did right in this whole situation, yes, he became fearful. Yes, he wanted to retreat, but he did pray. And that's something that we need to remember as an answer to our pain. We also need to pray. Something else that David did right was he put his trust in the Lord. That's something else he did that was right. In the middle of all this, he put his trust in the Lord. And we see that in verse 16 and in verse um, 22 and the end of verse 23. In verse 16, he says, as for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. And verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord. He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. And the very end of the Psalm in the end of verse 23, it says, but I will trust in you. And I thought about that. This is huge. I mean, look at where David's at now. Think about the beginning of the psalm where he was. He was so fearful and everything. And look at where he is now at the end. He's put his trust in God. Now, he hasn't put his trust in his soldiers' abilities to protect him. Remember, he's got this large army with him, with Joab, his general. All right, But he's not depending on them to, to keep him safe. His confidence is in the Lord. He's also not putting his confidence in his own ability to, to wiggle out of this. I mean, David was a, <clears throat> excuse me, a masterful military strategist. So David could, could have sat down there with Joab and, and made some grand plan of how he was going to work this whole thing out. But he wasn't doing that. He says that his trust and his confidence is going to be in God. 
Just like it says in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, which so many of you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. In verse 22, I thought verse 22 actually is like a summary of the whole psalm. Verse 22, David writes, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. And as I said, look how far David has come at that point. He says right now that the Lord will never permit the righteous to be moved. And that idea about being moved is to be disturbed, like to be shaken. That is to be unsettled from their faith. Now, he's not saying there aren't going to be storms. He's not saying there's not going to be rocky points in in your life here. Because Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24 say, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall down, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him. We're all going to have those times where you're going to fall. Things around you just, you know, push you down. We fall on our own. But the Lord is not going to let us completely fall. As David said right here, he's not going to let the righteous, he's not going to let you be moved. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. So don't just expect you know, to, it to happen once. And you've been in there, some of you, it's like when you're at the beach sometimes and you're really clueless to the waves and you're not paying attention and one wave knocks you down and you, with your friends, you all laugh and you stand up and you're laughing and while you're laughing, the next one hits you down again, right? It's like comes and comes and comes. There's times in our lives like that, right? Where it's just one after another after another situation. Like it says here in Proverbs, a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. That's what David's saying. If you cast your burdens on the Lord, he will sustain you. He will not permit you to be moved. Doesn't mean that you're not going to fall, but you're not going to lose. You're not going to um, fall from your faith in that way. So when we put our confidence in the Lord, we're actually doing what Paul told us back in, in Ephesians when we talked about the armor. What does he say? He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's what David's basically saying. Stand, you know, cast your burden on the Lord. Stand strong with the Lord here. Now, I think going back to verse 22, though, there's an important connection in that verse, the connection between what happens at the end, which is he will never permit you to be moved with what happens at the beginning. It says in order for the Lord to sustain us, it says you have to cast your burden on the Lord. He says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. And we know at the beginning of the Psalm, David didn't do that. At the beginning, he didn't go right to the Lord and cast that burden. How do we know that? Because he let his hurt and his pain turn into fear. But somewhere along the line there, maybe as he was fleeing somewhere, things clicked. And all of a sudden he refocused on the Lord because we see a different tone in the Psalm towards the end there. He may not have started well, but he ended well. And how do we know he ended well? Well, look at the very, very end of the Psalm. Go to the very, very end of verse 23. What are those last words? He says, but I will trust in you, but I will trust in you. And how could David say that? I mean, everything around him is falling apart. He was chased out of the city. One of his closest friends betrayed him. His own son was seeking to kill him but I will trust in you. That's what he says, but I will trust in you. And how was he able to say that? Because God's faithfulness in the past had given David confidence that he was going to take care of him in his present situation. David knew that God had come through in the past. So David could say, I will trust in you. Think about it. As a youth, he was out there taking care of the sheep. Remember a bear came, a lion came, right? And he would, he would slay them. The Lord delivered him. He was able to kill those wild beasts and he was fine. He fought Goliath, right? And what did it say? It says, what did David say to King Saul when he was saying, are you sure you want to do this? And David says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So again, I will trust in you. On several occasions, we know King Saul tried to kill him, threw javelins at him, right? 
but I will trust in you. There was that time, at a, there was a village he and his men were in. It was called Ziklag. And David and his men left for a while. And so the Philistines came and raided the village, carried everyone off captive. And it says in 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6, Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David had seen God come through again and again on his behalf. And so now fleeing from his son Absalom and that insurrection, David was able to respond, but I will trust in you. Even though right now life was a mess, things are chaotic. Think about what has God done in your life so far? I mean, look back, look at all that God has done. Look at his provision. Look what he has provided for you. Look at God's protection on your life. Look at God's healing on your life. Look at God's salva- the salvation that he's given to you. Look at those things. I mean, we can become so myopic. We're so short-sighted. We get so consumed with this crisis I'm dealing with. And it's not to minimize the, the pain of the moment. I mean, because it's huge. It's real right now. But we just forget. We forget so often what it is that God has done. We've lose sight of that big picture, everything that God's done. So this happened to David even for a while. Like I said, at the beginning, he took his eyes off. He got fearful. He was filled with pain because of that treachery. But at the end, he fell back onto what he knew to be true. At the end, he went back to that. He knew that when he cried out to God in prayer, that God would be there and answer him. And he knew when he cast his burdens on the Lord, he knew the Lord would sustain him and not allow him to be moved. That's what David knew. And we also need to look back, ladies, and we have to remember what it is that God has done in our lives. We have to look back and know what he's done in our lives. And this is going to give us the confidence to go through the situations that we're at right now. Knowing and seeing his faithfulness in the past, that's what's going to get us through this this present moment. So once again, our study tonight, I mean, very relevant. God's word is is always so so on point here at the moment. At the beginning, I opened with um, that verse in Hebrews 4, verse 11. 11 where excuse me verse 12 where it says for the word of god is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword piercing even into division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart you know god's word doesn't only come to us to comfort us he comes to comfort us he comes to instruct us but he also comes to convict us like it says here it discerns the thoughts and the intents of our heart his word reaches very deep into the corners of our heart. It exposes, it exposes everything that's there. You know, what did we, what was the title of our study? It says, Lord, teach us to pray when we're hurt. And that was our request tonight. And David's been our example. So here, as we look at Psalm 55, we see how throughout the course of that Psalm, David's heart was transformed. At the beginning, he was full of pain, full of fear, full of hurt. But at the end, we hear him declare those, those six words, which to me just really stand out. And I hope you just like circle them or underline them in your Bible. But I will trust in you. That's the bottom line. Even though my son is seeking to kill me. So David said, I will trust in you. Even th- though one of my closest friends has betrayed me, I will trust in you. Though Jerusalem, the city I love, is full of destruction and oppression, I will trust in you. Although my heart's fearful, my heart's trembling, I will trust in you. And when we find ourselves in similar situations, then the question is, okay, now what are we going to do? If he says he doesn't love me anymore, but I will trust in you. If our house goes into foreclosure, right, I will trust in you. When a loved one dies, I will trust in you. When he asks for a divorce, I will trust in you. Even though my child walks away from you, I will trust in you. Regardless of what everyone else says, I will trust in you. It doesn't matter what my family thinks. I will trust in you. 
even though it doesn't make sense, I will trust in you. And even though it seems hopeless, I will trust in you. You David's pain didn't stop him from praying and depending upon God. And I'm not saying that it was easy for him. He wavered a bit. He became fearful. But at the end, he was victorious. And that's because um, he depended on the Lord. It wasn't because he was so smart. It wasn't because he was so brave or so rich. He was because he kept his eyes on the Lord. And that's what we need to do, ladies. When we have that pain, because if we're, we've all been there, and if you're not there right now, you'll go back there again. <laughs> that's just how life is. That's how life is. But when we find ourselves in that situation, we need to follow that example that David says. We need to tr- put our trust in the Lord. Because look back what he's done on your life in the past. That is the confidence that you can have in him to be with you in the present and to bring you through it. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you so much for the promises in your word, Lord. And we do confess, Lord, that so often we do get our eyes off of you. And we get our eyes on our circumstances, Lord. And we let that pain overwhelm us, Lord, because it's real. But yet, Lord, we know that in the the middle of that pain, Lord, in the middle of that hurt, in the middle of that fear that you are there with us, Lord. You haven't left us. And Lord, when we look back in our lives and we see all you have done, Father, we're ashamed sometimes at at just how how little our faith is. But Father, we want to just come to you and just uh, again, Lord, just affirm that we do trust you, Lord. And I pray for each and every woman here tonight, God, those especially who right now find themselves in the middle of that situation, Lord, that they would trust you, Lord, that they would pray that they would run to the cross, that they would not seek to run away from you, Lord. They would not listen to the lies of the enemy, but rather, Lord, they would go to your word. They would sit at your feet, Lord, and that they would listen to your voice, Father, as you desire to speak to them and minister to them. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.